diving into data. Diving, di diving, d data. Diving into data with TC Riley. Hello, hello, hello again, everyone, and welcome into another episode of Diving Into Data. I am your host, TC Riley. You can call me Big Data if you'd like to. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Spring is in the air, turning the corner on May. Continuing to see things move in a positive direction, both at least within the U.S. From a COVID perspective, things opening back up, the economy's doing well. It is a great time to be alive, and it's a great time to be talking about data. Why, you may ask? Well, there's some really interesting stuff going on where data privacy and the ownership of data is getting a lot more pub than it usually does. If you've been paying attention at all over the last few weeks, you probably heard a lot about Apple and Facebook specifically, and really the new Apple update and what it's going to do, what it means. So that's what we're going to dive into today on our title of Protected or Shifted, Turning Tides and Data Privacy. And we'll get to what that means here in a second. It's a fascinating topic, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see not only how this plays out, but all the dominoes that I think are going to fall from this decision. With that, sit back, relax, grab a drink if you choose to do so. Let's go dive in some data. Alrighty, protected or shifted, turning tides and data privacy. What the heck does that mean, TC? Well, give me give me two minutes. We'll get back to that. First, you might wonder what I'm talking about. As always, going to give a shout out to the articles that I use here. The main one I actually use, the biggest one I use, there's a couple of Wall Street Journal articles. One of them talking about how Apple and Facebook clash over ads and how small businesses think they're going to be impacted. And they had a number of others, so. This episode unofficially brought to you by the Wall Street Journal and some of their good articles that help clue me in on this stuff. But what we're talking about here is Apple is implementing more controls on the data collected by third-party apps on their software. Really quick, right off the bat, important distinction to make here. This is the, not the data Apple collects on you. And I noticed they didn't say anything about that. This is just that of third parties. And to simplify this, even though it's much bigger than this and there's tons of businesses that are going to be impacted by this, the thing you've probably heard about a lot is Facebook's making a real big uh, fuss about this because a company like Facebook, this would absolutely apply to Google as well, even though you don't hear quite as much on Google, is that A, Facebook, a uh, majority of their users are iPhone users using the iPhone app for Facebook. That's the, I believe, the largest portion of their users and how people typically access it. Of course, people access it from Androids and from desktops and from all other types of places, but it's a big, big, big point of emphasis for uh, Facebook is those users that are using that Facebook Apple app. So what are we talking about here? And the reason that protected or shifted, what we're going to dive into today is, is this really making users more protected? That's kind of the, uh, the theme and what uh, Apple has been preaching and what a lot of the people supporting Apple have been preaching. Or has it just been shifted? Do different people just get access to that data now? It's an interesting question, so I wanna talk about it a little further. And it really opens up much bigger questions on the personal data ecosystem, is what I kind of refer to it as. All the things that your personal data, you as a user slash consumer, are uh, impacted by and what's all being captured on you. I'm sure you have lots of notions by this. Everyone's kind of a little scared about how much information is caught, and there's a lot that goes into this. But the first-party data collection that is rising is going to continue to do so 
over the next few years. We're going to dive into what that means, what first-party data is and what we're talking about, and why the retention and ability to utilize that and collect that is going to be critical to the future of the data ecosystem, no matter how this plays out. So let's first dive into really what this means. So Apple's new update is the first major move in this space for many American consumers. And what I mean by that is those who don't live in California with CCPA or in Europe with GDPR or tons of other countries have these still haven't paid a lot of attention to data privacy. CCPA and GDPR are big enough terms that if you're in the data world, you know them like the back of your hand, but I would bet you, you know, nine out of 10 people on the street, if you were to walk down to an average American playing on their cell phone, you have no idea what you're talking about. Probably seven or 10 of those don't really even know that much about data privacy or have an opinion on it. So we'll get back to that. But Apple is most simply what they're doing. Um, I'm going to uh, way oversimplify this, but they're opening up an opt-in model instead of an opt-out model. What I mean by that is with this new update coming out, what Apple's going to do is they're pretty much going to tell users that, hey, this is all the data that's being collected from you. Do you want to allow this? Previously, um, because of some laws and just because of the way that uh, some watchdog groups have kind of forced them to do it, companies like Facebook, if you go deep in the settings of the app, and I mean deep, like layers and layers down, all these abilities actually already existed for you to opt out of this. Everything that they had been tracking, all these third-party trackers using the information, not only what you're doing in Facebook, but what you're doing on the browser on your phone and what your email says, maybe even who you're texting or all this other stuff. They've already been collecting this. And if you dove deep enough into the app, you could actually turn all this off. If you're a data guy like me, it's probably one of the first things you did. But most users have never done this. They don't know it exists. They don't, maybe they don't even care, to be honest. They've never just really thought about it. However, Apple's now going to smack you in the face with it. Once you have the update, I don't know the exact how the messaging will go, but one of the first few times you open up that Facebook app on your phone, what it's going to do is it's going to pop up and pretty not prompt you to opt out, but give you a very clear ability to opt out of all this data tracking, which means that Apple, because it is, you know, it's a Facebook app on an Apple platform, is going to pretty much be able to put a wall up for that app and say, hey, you no longer can get all this information that you've been getting. And you think, well, yeah, they're going to put it out there, but are that many people going to opt out? And actually, the stats suggest that somewhere between 75 and 80% of users are expected to not opt in um, instead of just being able to opt out in the past. So again, by going to this opt-in model, they're making it much more clear up front, and they're pretty much asking for your consent to get all this information instead of just giving you the ability to turn it off if you really know what you're doing and you're paying attention. This is really fascinating for me because uh, there's a lot we're going to get into. And I'm not going to pick a side. I, some people might find it funny. Some people may think I'm just being a uh, going against the grain here. But I actually kind of laughing at both Apple and Facebook. I'll tell you why later in the episode here. But the one thing that this kind of shows me and why I think this is more important from a bigger perspective, data privacy is moving from governments to corporations. This is one of the first times that I've really seen this in play, at least on a scale that's going to impact a lot of consumers. Yeah, sure, there are little companies that have done a lot of different things, but we've previously, over the last, oh, I don't know, five years, have seen some government regulations come in, again, not across most of the US, but in California, in Europe, in a lot of the uh, Asian countries, where data privacy has been kind of, I don't know if an emphasis is the right word, um, but become more critical from a regulatory standpoint from governments. But now this is one of the first really big dominoes to fall where a corporation is taking this into their own hand. The government isn't making Apple do this. This is Apple saying, hey, we want to give these users this ability. And again, before you go thinking too much, well, Apple, you guys are so good protecting us. Well, we're going to get to that in a second. I'm not so sure that's uh, quite the case. But 
what it really means to me is that I think this is the first of many dominoes that will fall in the third party data space. And what that is talking about is again, and it's very simply, it's the reason why when you're Googling a new, uh, you know, let's say washing machine for the house, why when you open up that Amazon app, the first thing you see is six washing machines, or you get a targeted email from some appliance company about the new washing machine sale they have. You've probably had a lot of those that you think, you know, how are they getting this information? Or how, how, how did they know that? Did they read my mind? No, they didn't read your mind, but they're tracking all these components of your technological profile, of all the things that you're doing through technology that are very trackable just by their very nature. And what we're gonna see is that third-party data of being able to, again, I wasn't that I was searching washing machines on Amazon, it's that I was Googling it. And Google and Amazon have this ecosystem that connect and allow Google to very quickly pass that data and you know, sell that data along to Amazon so that they can target with you. And again, this is not against Amazon specifically or against Facebook specifically or Google specifically. It's everyone in the ad space. There, there's no one that, including Apple, there's no one that is uh, exempt from this kind of practice. It just is what it is. It's the industry standard. It's just been something we've all had to kind of accept up till now. And again, at the end of the day, hey, it, a lot of the times, Let's be honest, there have been things that you've purchased because you thought, oh, that's convenient. I was looking for that. And yeah, that company's happy, but you as a consumer, a lot of the times you're probably happy too with these targeted ads. Not when they get a little too intrusive, they go a little too over the line. That whole cat food fiasco we've talked about in the past with a couple randomly talking about cat food throughout the week, not looking for it, just talking about it near their devices. They don't own a cat in any capacity. I've never looked up cat stuff and then getting barraged with cat food ads and the like. Anyway, I think that what's really interesting here is that first party data is about to become all the rage. We're going to touch on the small business impact since that's what this article really lit in on. We're going to go there first, but we're going to be back to this first party data in a second. So small business impact. And the reason I'm really going to dive into this um, is because I think it's an interesting angle. It's what the one Wall Street Journal article kind of uh, pushed forward as the people that are really going to be hurt by this. Their point was generally that, yes, Facebook's going to hit by this, but Facebook's huge. They'll find a way. They'll be okay. Who this is really going to hurt are those small companies that use Facebook ads, for instance, or Google ads, for instance, to target their consumers. They're losing a medium to be able to really find that perfect population, that perfect profile of a user that they want to target and have a lot of success with. So yes, absolutely. Small businesses are going to be impacted, especially businesses that rely heavy on ads models. That's how they do a lot of their promotion. They don't do a lot of organic stuff necessarily. They do a lot of the pay-per-click. That's where their money's spent. They're worried that it's going to hurt them. And frankly, they probably should be because it absolutely will. If you use, again, there's certain companies out there, Facebook ads are their bread and butter. That's how they make their money. That's how they get all their sales or most of their sales, I should say. And yeah, if Facebook all of a sudden has a lot less data in this ecosystem, a lot less ability to build these personas that they like to build around certain people to target, sure, they're still going to be able to do it. Facebook's still going to have ads. They're still going to get sales from it. But yeah, there's going to be a lot less meat on the bone there. So you should be worried. However, to me, this isn't an issue as much as it is a, a matter of life, is the way it is. And I have two kind of big counters to that. The people who feel too, too terrible for small businesses that are entirely reliant on this ad model. Again, this is not all small businesses. I want to make that very, very clear. This is specifically ones that are pretty much solely reliant on the ad model. One, unfortunately for them, this is what happens when you operate in rented spaces. 
if you don't operate and own spaces and own channels uh, at market scale here, we push own media channels is our major kind of focus and what we do for our clients. And this is one of the main reasons, because when you operate in rented spaces, when all you're doing is paying another company, another corporation, another entity of some kind to help funnel all your users to you to help funnel all your business for your business to keep going, you have a lot of risk there that you can't mitigate. It's outside your ecosystem. If you don't have this information coming from somewhere else now and you haven't made an effort to capture it or at least build it up, or at least maybe you relied on ads to you know get you started, but then you've invested in you know more own channels, okay, well, then you're probably going to be okay because you're going to see a dip on the ad side, but you have these other ones that are going to build strength, these own channels, this first-party data. Again, we're going to get back to this. There's a reason I keep saying it. However, if you're entirely operating in rented spaces, you know, you got to, it's whichever way the wind blows, you got to kind of ride with it. And if the ecosystem has a major shock to it, like it does with this Apple update, you're susceptible to that. And unfortunately, there's not a ton you can do to mitigate that risk. A good point as to, again, own media channels, first party data. The other counter I have for this that isn't, you know, that's a thing, something worth noting, I think, is for hundreds of years, small businesses have had to adapt. So yes, there are going to be some business heavily impacted by this, but businesses have always had to adapt. Those that do and are able to adapt to the new world and the new normal, um, I don't like that term after all we've heard it the last year, the new regular ecosystem, we use that term instead. Those that do are going to thrive and those that don't are going to die. It's kind of that simple. This is unfortunately kind of some of the way that this is what capitalism does. I mean, that's not even unfortunate. That's intentional. That's what capitalism does is those that adapt and thrive survive. Those that don't adapt and kind of just only work within this very set parameters that are here, things change. Things are always going to change, and you're probably going to suffer if you don't adapt to that. Uh, an example of this, when credit and debit cards became a common payment method, um, when people moved away from just having cash available to pay for everything, businesses that only operate with cash, and there's still some out there today, have had to adapt or they suffer the loss of those clients that don't carry cash. I think actually just being uh, in Austin a decade or so ago, whenever food trucks really took off down there and then became a thing where there was a couple of them to a big hub, I, I thought it was so interesting to go to these different food trucks and how common it was to hear or see people walk up and pull out their debit card and then the person say, sorry, we only take cash. And the person to kind of just stare at them like, well, I don't have cash and then say, okay, sorry, and go to another, go to a competitor who did have you know, Square or one of those other mobile payment methods. That's just one very specific example, but the businesses as payments move to cards and now even it's kind of funny because we're moving to where payments are moving more to like electronics, things like Apple Pay, Another thing in the Apple ecosystem there. Not even accepting cards is a, you know, necessarily good enough anymore. Now you also need to be able to accept the Apple Pay or the swipe or the touch or whatever kind of payment method you have. But anyway, again, uh, this all to say small businesses have always had to adapt. I am very optimistic that even though this story specifically painted a little doom and gloom for a lot of small businesses, I'm incredibly optimistic that knowing the small business owners of America, they'll be resilient, they will adapt, they will overcome, and they're gonna be just fine. It's gonna be a bump of the road, not the end of the road. These small businesses have had one hell of a bump in the road the last year, and so many of them bucked up, survived, found a way through, and found a way to maybe even get better throughout the pandemic. And I'm confident that those small businesses that make up the backbone of America will continue to do this. So, hey, if you're operating entirely in rented spaces, We've been telling you for years, maybe it's not a good idea. Now, hopefully you're seeing that and you're going to jump into those own spaces more and invest in yourself and invest in building that ecosystem of users that interact within your closed loop, not within someone else's loop. And again, they're going to adapt. 
Adapt or die. It's what capitalism is all about. The one little uh, caveat I will throw in here, that article actually specifically calls out Solo Stove, John Marish, their CEO, close personal friends to market scale, and shout out to them for taking control. Solo Stove is one of those companies that really they operate almost entirely in rented spaces, but you know what they did? They adapted. John was able to invest. He actually invested in hiring developers to build their own tracking system for all the ads that they run so that they'd still be able to get the same amount of information, still be able to operate within this model, even though they can no longer rely on what Facebook could provide because they knew that this change was coming and they knew that Facebook wouldn't always be able to provide that for them. So that's exactly what I mean about small businesses being able to adapt and why I'm optimistic that even though it's a little doom and gloom out there of some of the articles and some of the takes on this, I think people are going to be just fine. They always are. It's what America is all about. You can get knocked down, you pop back up, dust yourself off, and you keep moving forward. All righty. So small businesses are going to be okay. That, that's my takeaway. That's my uh, optimistic view on this. But time to dig into this first party data. I've only said it probably 50 times so far in this episode. And the shift is just starting. But I don't know if I've ever been more confident in the fact that of something in the data ecosystem that first party data is going to become king. Data captured within your ecosystem about your consumers, your ecosystem, not by third parties. It's not available for sale. It's not some list you're buying somewhere. It's not some tracker somewhere else from someone else that captured this information is going to pass it along to you. It's your ecosystem that you control. That is what first party data is all about. This really fuels the push that MarketScale has actually made in terms of this first-party data capture and utilization. For instance, on our website, creating a more controlled ecosystem with logins and users, not only can we now provide users much more tailored experiences when they come to the website, provide them much more relevant information, that might sound kind of like marketing gimme. No, no, no. This is about this data, the data we control, and the data that we're only going to use the way that we know it'll help people. This data isn't for sale. We're not looking for Facebook or LinkedIn, which would be, you know, in the B2B space, especially LinkedIn, you might think, oh, what a great source to get a ton of information on a ton of people because LinkedIn, I know, is capturing all this information, a Microsoft company. Funny how all these things tie up to the big tech firms, um, but uh, we're not going to purchase stuff from there and use it. No, we're going to capture data in our systems, in our ecosystem. We're not going to rely. We're not going to rely on Apple. We're not going to rely on Facebook. We're not going to rely on LinkedIn. We're not going to rely on Google. We're going to capture it within our ecosystem. And I think so many businesses are already doing this, and so many more are going to start doing this. And I would say that this is a shift every company should be considering. The big picture has all roads, all arrows, whatever you want to say, leading in this direction. Where first party data, the ability of a company to actually directly capture information from their consumers, even through some mediums that you might think, well, that's a little old school TC. Yeah, well, social really falls in that third party data perspective, unless you're doing something innovative like the Solo Stove team's doing. So why don't you instead? You know, use email list. Yeah, that's a little old school, but email's great still. It's a great way. I get still get a million emails a day and still keep in contact with a lot of companies that way. Use stuff on your website, create profiles, create experiences, do in-person events even as the world opened back up to get more first-party data. Again, things that consumers are directly connecting with you and your business. They are voluntarily as part of their involvement with you, giving you this information so it can be used so that you're not reliant on purchasing it. You're not reliant on you know other big tech companies and how the winds might blow in that regard. It doesn't matter what happens. If you own your data, if you have first party data, then you're going to be a lot more successful. And in my opinion, you're future-proofing yourself from something that's becoming almost inevitable. And when I'm talking about that inevitable, specifically I'm referring to is I really strongly believe that what I call the data trade 
again, this uh, vast collection of information from everywhere that's just bought and sold continuously to create this massive kind of ads ecosystem. I think it's going to be much, much more difficult, not only from a regulatory perspective, as we've seen with CCPA, GDPR and all, not only from regulation when it comes to companies regulating it in the terms of this Apple example, but that's not even mentioning all the advancing tech. Just two quick examples of that. VPNs are much, much more common and people having an understanding that their general browser session probably isn't as secure as they'd like and using things like uBlock Origin, using things like VPNs, using things like DuckDuckGo and browsers that don't collect information. There's a reason these things have kind of popped up in popularity. I still think we're almost in an early adopter phase there, but I wouldn't be shocked if in a couple decades, every person is using this much more controlled private ecosystem, even as technology would seemingly advance and make it easier to get information, I think it's actually going to go the other way. The technological advances will make you more protected, more secure. Another quick example, blockchain technology. I'm not going to get into this. This could be its entire episode, but as blockchain technology becomes much more commonplace, this becomes much more integral in many, many business systems and even you know interactive personal systems, the general private nature and the secure nature of blockchain and what it's able to do and what it enables, I think is also going to push this. It's a little bit harder to find this random data on people elsewhere outside the ecosystem. So all that to say, the data trade, I think, is going to become uh, much more difficult for companies to participate in. Those who take the risks and own their data and have that first party data are going to thrive while the others are going to struggle. And just as a quick teaser of our next episode, this this data trade and the monetization of data is going to be the folks for next week's episode. And I think it's much, much, much more important to the economy and bigger picture things than you ever realize. We're going to talk more about that next week, but just a little teaser there. All right. So I'm going to sum this up and give you kind of my general take on all of this. So again, Apple is rolling out a new privacy policy, for lack of a better term, a new privacy system that is going to allow users for a lot of different apps, Facebook being the one you hear about most in the news, but it's not just going to be Facebook. There'll be plenty of other apps that see this where they're creating an opt-in model instead of an opt-out model. What we mean by that is instead of just having all this random data collected by all these sources and fed every which direction on this you know, data interstate system that exists in the world, they're going to explicitly ask people, hey, do you want to opt in to give all this information? You have to positively affirm that you want to do this. And while maybe there'll be some people that do, numbers are showing about four to five people are gonna say no. So if we're looking, this is a boxing match, Apple definitely wins this round. They're the first mover. And the reason they're able to do this is because they have a more enclosed ecosystem. You're working with their software and their hardware. It's all on an Apple device. It's your Facebook app within the app store on your Apple device. These are all Apple things that Facebook's having to play nice with. So at the end of the day, when Apple says no, Facebook doesn't really have anything to do about it. It's just you're using Apple devices. You have this more enclosed ecosystem. Another shout out for first party data there and why it's so important. When your model is relying on things outside of your locus control, you have risks that you can't mitigate. I hope small businesses out there are kind of realizing this. Some have already jumped to the forefront like our friends over at Solo Stove and taken this into their own hands and they're not going to be relying on that third-party data. And many of our other companies that MarketScale specifically works with have done this through own media channels and other ways to capture first-party data and create audiences and ecosystems that are not reliant on other people's channels and things that you can't control. At the end of the day, I'd also shout out that while, you know, again, Apple wins this round, I, I, I can't leave this episode without saying that I don't want to paint Apple out to be some hero here of data privacy. 
there are definitely ulterior motives to what Apple's doing here. Let's be honest, folks. Apple targets you with different types of ads. It's different things. It's more in like the App Store, um, but in Apple News, as they've boosted their services section, there's more opportunities to kind of target ads. So I'm not going to be shocked if even though while you know Apple's throwing on the, the, the cape of the data privacy superhero right now, watch over the next couple of years as they start still collecting all this data, use more of this data, and pump it back into their ecosystem so that they can monetize it and use it. So I, I can't go with all this without saying that, you know, hey, good for Apple. And I do think it's good that Apple's doing this, but I don't think it's entirely pure intentions if I'm being totally transparent. So it's going to be a changing landscape. First party day is going to become more and more important. However, I'm going to leave you with one final kind of caveat here and one final point. And that is that I love this. And TC, you're like the data guy. You kind of seem to like data privacy. What do you mean you love this? Like it seems to be like you're painting this picture that there's a lot of weird things going out. Yes, but everyone complaining, in my opinion, is kind of mixing the bigger picture. Sure. Big tech has a lot of control and we're caught in a firefight of trillion dollar companies um, when it comes to our data and our information. It's not ideal, but it is what it is. But give me that any day of the week and what we're dealing with here in the U.S. when it comes to this over the state or a party deciding what we're going to do and not do. And they're allowing the free market to decide. This is Apple and Facebook, two public companies going at it. And really, it's Apple versus all these other big tech companies. Give me that any day of the week compared to what we see of our friends over in China. Probably going to end up on some list for saying this, but just reading an article last week about how after they slapped Alibaba with a $28 billion fine, China warned 34 other tech companies pretty much play by our rules, do what we want to do, or you're next. People think they let Alibaba off the hook because Alibaba kind of folded to them a little bit and $28 billion wasn't that much to them. So uh, all this to say, USA, USA, USA. Give me any day of the week, big tech fighting and capitalism kind of promoting this ecosystem where companies are able to do this over not having this ability at all. It might not be perfect, but give it to me over the alternative. That's all we have for this week, folks. Again, this was our episode, Protected or Shifted, Turning Tides in Data Privacy. I am your host, TC Riley, Big Data. We'll be back next week, as I teased earlier, with another thing around kind of this monetization of data. We're going to stick with this theme because I, I think there's so much people don't realize when it comes to how important this is to our economy and not just for these companies, but our economy overall. We're going to dive into that one next week. Until then, see ya.